Good morning. Good morning. Um, Jeff had it wrong last week when he said that Mark's going to talk about marriage or play the alpha uh, tapes on marriage. What I had told him was that we were going to lead up to Pentecost by looking at two of the tapes anyway from Alpha about the Holy Spirit. This week would be who is the Holy Spirit. Next week would be uh, what does the Holy Spirit do. So um, that's what we'll play for almost 30 minutes. And then after that, if we have time, I'm, it depends how stressed I am. <laughs> we have to move on, you know, get back to church and do other stuff, baptisms, etc. I wanted to give you a little bit of a rundown of the story of one person who had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that was significant. And the person that I chose, because he wrote a good book, is Charles Stanley. The wonderful, spirit-filled life. And I just would not have expected this Baptist to be so full of the Holy Spirit. He's so full of <laughs> about talking about the Holy Spirit. But it truly is a, a helpful journey because I'm one of those people that always wonders if I'm on target with the Holy Spirit or not. And so um, Charles is a great person to walk with as he tells his story. So I'd like to share some of that and then we'll go off to church. But I wanted to start with a song, just for fun, and um, this song is called Be Still, because it talks about God moving in our midst and what he does. And so let's do that first. Please don't stand up. Do your best to sing, and if you don't have words, just listen. Uh, we'll see if you can understand. And then, um, then we'll play the tape, and then we'll... Um, have a discussion about Charles Stanley. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for these people who are here today, and thank you for your presence with us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to learn and to profit from what we hear today. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our desires, Lord, to be in your presence. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Industry. 
And uh, so he got a job in a publishing company as the tea boy. And what happened in this company was that it got itself into trouble. It was an ailing company, and everybody resigned, including the editor, including the managing director. And so the only person left was Nigel. So the tea boy was made the managing director. And he turned this company right round and made it very successful. But he wasn't satisfied. He thought, I, I want to go to a different magazine. So he went to another one that was alien. And he made that more successful than the one he left. He still wasn't satisfied. So he thought, well, I want to set up my own photographic magazine. And he did. And that became the most successful of them all, winning awards all over the world. He still wasn't satisfied. He thought, well, what I'd really like to do is be the pictures editor of a major national newspaper. And he became the pictures editor of the Sunday Telegraph. But he said he still wasn't satisfied. So the problem was, he hated himself deep down. And he hated his neighbor as much as he hated himself. In fact, he discovered his nickname at the Sunday Telegraph was The Beast. So here he was, very successful. He said he had a great job, he was earning loads of money, he had a beautiful wife, two great sons, and he was driving a Porsche 911. Good Lord. And yet, he said, he was so unhappy. And he went um, to stay with some friends in Switzerland, and they told him about the Alpha Course and how it was possible to have an experience of the Holy Spirit, the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And he said that this sort of desire came into him, that he wanted to have that experience. So when he came back to London, he came on the course here, and he said that that's all he really wanted. Was the, he, he'd heard that on Saturday night at the weekend, it was possible to have this experience. And he said he was longing for that. The rest of the course he was just trying to get through. He came on the uh, weekend and he said, you know, these, these talks on Saturday morning, he just was longing for them to get over. And he said, the more I talked, the more depressed he got. <laughs> and he wrote to me afterwards this long letter about his, uh, well, his whole life experiences, really. <laughs> And then he says this, he said, I'll never forget that final session. I felt as though I was being torn in two. Halfway through, I just couldn't stand it anymore. The prize was so near, and you were getting there so slowly. <laughs> I literally wanted to scream out, do it now! Do it now! I can't hold that any longer. I'm not exaggerating when I say it. I was in agony. Quite a common experience for people listening to my talks. <laughs> Then he, that's the Holy Spirit, came, and oh, the relief. Do you know, for the first time in my life, I feel normal. It seems a strange thing to say, but it keeps hitting me just how normal I feel. I also feel loved. That's what the experience of the Holy Spirit is all about, feeling loved. I feel accepted for who I am, and I feel free. Terribly cliched, isn't it? But I feel, oh, so free. Yesterday, I read some words from Paul in Philippians, which expressed so deeply how I now feel about my achievements of the last 15 years. 
I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Feel love. That's what it's all about. That's what this weekend is all about. You are loved. God wants you to know that you're loved. He wants you to feel his love. That's what the Holy Spirit does. For a long time in the church, the Holy Spirit has been ignored. There's been a much greater concentration on God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, but not so much on God the Holy Spirit. He's also been misunderstood. In the, in the authorised version, it talks about the Holy Ghost. And that sounds a bit weird, scary, ghost. And also, he's been resisted. Some people are a bit nervous of him. I heard of one church in central London where uh, this was a very formal church and they were a bit nervous about the Holy Spirit. And this woman had just become a Christian and she'd experienced the Holy Spirit and she was really excited. And in the middle of the service she shouted out, Hallelujah! And the church warden came up to her and tapped her on the shoulder and said, You mustn't say that here. <laughs> she said, But I'm so excited, I've got religion. He said, Well, you didn't get it here, madam. <laughs> chapter 1. And uh, what I want to do today is look at the history of the Holy Spirit from Genesis 1, verse 1, right through to the end of the Bible, end of Revelation. We'll miss out one or two verses in between. <laughs> so here is Genesis 1, verse 1. He was involved in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was waiting to do something new. To bring out of the chaos the cosmos. Out of disorder to bring order. Out of confusion to bring harmony. Out of deformity, beauty. Out of oldness, newness. The Holy Spirit always brings new things to our lives, new attitudes, new desires, new ways of worship, new songs, and I think we are a little bit conservative with a small c by nature. We're a little bit nervous, if you're anything like me, of change. I heard of uh, one man who'd been a church warden in the same church for 46 years. And someone said to him, over those 46 years, you must have seen so many changes. He said, yes, I have. And I have resisted every single one of them. <laughs> I heard of one vicar who wanted to move his journey from one side of the church to the other side. And he knew there'd be a lot of resistance. So he decided to do it gradually. He did one foot every week until, the other, until it was the other side of the church in a year's time. <laughs> so... The Holy Spirit is the creator spirit. He wants to bring new things. And we see him right at the start of the Bible. And as we go on through the Bible, we see what happens is this. The Holy Spirit comes on particular people at particular times for particular tasks that he's calling them to do. So, for example, he comes upon Bezalel. Would you like to turn to Exodus chapter 31, Verses 1 to 5. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge of all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engrave all kinds of crafts. I have filled him with the Spirit of God to make artistic designs. So the Spirit of God fills people. You can be a, a talented musician without the Holy Spirit, but it's the Spirit of God brings a new dimension to everything that we do. And you see that in the, the course of history, how extraordinary ways that the, the Holy Spirit has filled people, like Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, Handel. Think of Handel's Messiah. In 1741, Handel had suffered a stroke. He had a paralyzed right arm, blurred vision. He was not in good health. His sight was deteriorating. Work had dried up. He was asked to set some bits of the Bible to music. And he composed the music for the Messiah, the whole thing, in 24 days. And the Hallelujah Chorus, which we're listening to right now, he said, I did think I saw heaven open, and I saw the very face of God. His biographer wrote this. Handel's Messiah has probably done more to convince thousands that there is a God than all the theological texts ever written. And perhaps the works of no other composer so largely contributed to the relief of human suffering. But it's not just in the past, Today, God is filling people with the Holy Spirit for artistic ability. I think of Charlie Magassi. Charlie Magassi, great friend, artist. I think of the sculpture that he did of the prodigal son, which sits at the front of our church. And I think of how that sculpture has inspired so many people to understand what God is like, to understand that God is a loving father who wants to embrace you in his arms. I remember taking a, a, a friend into the church to show him the sculpture. And as he looked at it, tears just poured down his face as he thought of all the prodigals, the people who were away from the Father, and the possibility of them coming back into the Father's arms and being embraced by God. So the Holy Spirit fills us for whatever we're involved in. It could be music or art, but it could be your workplace. Whatever you do in your workplace, the Spirit of God wants to fill you with skill and ability and creativity for what you do. And then he comes upon uh, Gideon for leadership. Judges chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. The Lord turned to him, that's to Gideon, and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Israel had been overrun by the Midianites. The country was in desperate need, and God called Gideon to lead Israel. And... Gideon's response is, look, I'm so weak. It's an amazing thing that, that God uses people 
who feel weak, inadequate, ill-equipped. Personally, I find this verse so encouraging. He can even use me. How does he do it? Over the page. Verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then Samson, for strength and power. Judges chapter 15, verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. So often what happens in the Old Testament in a physical way happens in the New Testament in a spiritual way. So just as God's Spirit gave Samson physical strength to break free from his bindings, so the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to break the habits, the addictions, the stuff that keeps us spiritually bound. And then he came up, uh, upon Isaiah for, well, really for prophecy. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He gives you the ability to help other people, to set other people free. It's not just about having a warm feeling. It's about making a difference to the world. I always found it frustrating before. Uh, so many times I wanted to be a help to people, but I didn't really feel I had anything to give them. When the Spirit of God fills you, you can help people, the poor. You can bind up the brokenhearted. People will come to you who are brokenhearted because they know that there's something about you that enables you to bind them up. Proclaim freedom for the captives. Some people, they're set free instantly. For others of us, it's a longer-term thing. I really identify with something that uh, Bono has said. He said, for that, all that I was lost, I am found, it's probably more accurate to say, I was really lost, and I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less, and a little less again. That, to me, is the spiritual life. The slow reworking and rebooting of a computer at regular intervals, reading the small print of the service manual. It has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It's taken years, though, and it's not over yet. But Jesus sets us free. He sets the captives free. Proclaim freedom for the prisons. He says... To release from darkness those in prison. I, I found one of the things that... Uh, St. Joy, of course, is completely the wrong word for saying going into the prisons. But it, one of the things that is, is so deeply satisfying is to see people who physically are in prison set free by Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. And often I think they're more free in prison than some people outside prison who are in a kind of spiritual captivity. And whether we're in prison or out of prison, Jesus comes to set us free. The Holy Spirit 
gives us that freedom. And we can proclaim that. And we can bring that to other people. And that's a huge blessing. So, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. But as we go on through the Old Testament, there's a kind of rising sense of anticipation. That something new is going to happen. And this new thing is called the promise of the Father. So what is the promise of the Father? Would you like to turn to Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. This is what the Lord says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's as if like in the Old Testament, it was all these laws and decrees that were out there. And people looked at them and said, they're good rules, they're good things, but we can't keep them. And therefore they became a burden and just people felt guilty. They weren't able to keep them. And God says, look, with, when my spirit comes to live within you, it'll be different. It won't be like a great heavy burden of all these rules. You will have an inner desire. You'll look out and see... I mean, I look at someone like Pope Francis, and I think, wow, what an amazing man. I would love to be just a little bit more like him. But that's not because I feel, I'm, I must I just have a desire. The Spirit gives you a desire to live a life that is more loving, more kind, more generous. And he, he says he'll, he'll take away our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh. I remember Jackie Pullinger coming to speak one time at Holy Trinity at Bromford. And she, she has this amazing ministry. She spent her life working with sex workers, with triad gang leaders, with heroin addicts. And what she's done is see them set free by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing ministry. And she started her talk by, by saying this. God wants to give us soft hearts and hard feet. The problem with most of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. And when the Spirit of God comes, He softens our hearts. He gives us compassion and gives us hard feet, a willingness to go anywhere. Jackie Pullinger has got hard feet. She's been in tough situations. She lives a tough life out there. But if you ever see her with a prostitute, with a drug addict, you see this extraordinary compassion and love in her heart. That's the promise of the Father. To whom will it be given? How will it happen? Joel chapter 2, verse 28. God says this. But afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, regardless of gender, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision, regardless of age. Even on my servants, Regardless of rank, race, background, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is the amazing thing. It's everyone. I remember going to a church called Stop Sleep Baptist Church. And it was Pentecost. And there was this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And people were so touched by the Holy Spirit that they just found it more comfortable to lie on the floor 
than to stay standing. And the Spirit of God, I, I saw there was an old lady lying on the floor. I don't think she mind me saying that she was an old lady because I met her daughter afterwards and her daughter was 75 years of age. <laughs> and next to her was a boy aged eight. And this boy was laughing. It was the most unusual laugh. I think the best way to describe it is sweet. This old lady and this young boy together being filled with the Holy Spirit. His mother wrote to me afterwards and she said it's been quite about her son said he had been quite difficult and bad-tempered and naughty on occasion. Since his encounter with the Holy Spirit, he's become a different person, much sunnier, more helpful, kinder, anxious to please. Obviously, he still has his moments. But he is different, not something a child of eight can sustain in his own strength over any period of time. It was an amazing night, with God touching many of my friends, as well as my husband, daughter, two sons, and myself, in powerful and what can only be described as refreshing and equipping ways. So, particular people at particular times for particular tasks, and then the promise of the Father. I'm going to do something new, and it's going to be not just for particular people at particular times, for particular tasks, it's going to be for everyone. And they waited. They think, wow, this is exciting. But it didn't happen. And they waited hundreds of years. And then, Suddenly, with the birth of Jesus, it's like a trumpet sounds. And everyone surrounding the birth of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. Then, Mary visits Elizabeth, and she is pregnant with Jesus in her womb, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Baptism literally means to drench, overwhelm, immerse, plunge. It's like a, a ship being sunk. I think sometimes my heart is like this. It's like, you know those old-fashioned sponges which are a bit crusty on the outside? You put them in water, the water doesn't even go into them. But after a bit, the water starts to soften. And once it's soft, it, they really take in the water. And then when you take it out of the water, the water is pouring out. And that's what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like being baptized, drenched, filled. And then we read verse 22. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, descended on him in bodily form. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Chapter uh, 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went into the synagogue and he read these words that we read before from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I'm the key to all of this. And then uh, John 7, verse 38 and 39 on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty 
come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus says, it's going to happen. Jesus being glorified meant Jesus being crucified and raised to life. And that happened. And still, they waited. <laughs> Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's like a rising sense of anticipation. They're waiting. When is the promise of the Father going to be fulfilled? It's like, it's almost like a champagne bottle being, being shaken. There's this building anticipation. And then, chapter 2, verse 2, the cork flies off. Suddenly, a sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, not just particular people at particular times, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the reaction when people saw this, some people were amazed, some were amazed and perplexed, some people said, made fun of them, they said they're drunk, they've had too much wine, they gave a natural explanation for something supernatural, and Peter gets up and says, let me explain to you what's happening. This is the Holy Spirit. He says, this was prophesied in the Bible. And he, he, he quotes from the prophet Joel, who we read earlier. In those days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he says, this is Jesus. And then, most amazing of all, he says this. This is for you. Verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, not just for the people who were there, for you and your children, for the next generation, and not just them, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says, this promise, this promise of all the things we've been looking at, this promise of life, of harmony, of beauty for ashes, of creativity, of newness, of strength, of freedom, of compassion, of anointing, of living water. This promise is for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And you and you, and you, and you. Yeah.
Um, I think of the, um, the benediction that we pray, um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. And that's really um, a, a picture of, of the kind of life that Paul, who prayed that, wants us to be filled with and baptized in, submerged in, soaked in. That we, he wants us to be filled with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that sense of God's approval of us, of his favor toward us, and um, the love of God, that he wants us to have that sense of being loved, just as Nikki began the series. And then thirdly, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which is the word koinonia, which means um, fellowship, or participation in the reality of God's life. That's what God wants to do, is share his life with us. And it really is the direction in which all of life is going. As a Christian, what it, it, it began with, um, as we do in our service, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Trinitarian love, this life in this community of God that he thought was too good to keep to himself, and he wants to share it with us. So this life of God, this love of God, is something that he wants for all of us to have. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not a weirdness. It's a, it's a matter of connecting the reality of this very life of God that God wants us to participate in. Now I told you about um, Charles Stanley, the wonderful spiritual life, that um, he talks about how he became more aware of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about, at the beginning, how he, he really um, grew up as a, as a Christian, and he said, discipline comes easy for me. I've always enjoyed getting up early in the morning. I like to exercise. I like to study. I've been taking vitamins and eating right for years. I've had a high moral and ethical standard since I was 12. All of this to say, Christianity suited me just fine. Now listen to me. You know, well, how does he say it on, on the radio? Just listen. Now listen to this. <laughs> now hear me. Um, I liked everything about it, and judging from my public behavior, I was a great Christian. So um, he went to seminary, and he thought, I'm just going to go out and do things for God. And he, what, he was given the possibility then to uh, pastor a church up near Hendersonville, North Carolina, uh, to um, Fruitland Baptist Church. But the director of an, a Bible institute across the street from the church asked him if he would teach some classes as well to people who were well trained in ministry, who had been missionaries for years and now were coming back for training. And he thought to himself, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I, I just got out of seminary. In fact, I'm not even, I'm not ready. But he, he agreed. I guess his wife said, it's a great opportunity. And so he did it. Um, but he dreaded it. He dreaded it. He said it was the only thing that ruined his summer was thinking that in the fall he would have to teach this. And he, every day he thought, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? And he just kept talking about how he just didn't feel ill. He felt ill-equipped for this task. So it was a sense of like Gideon of inadequacy. And, and I, I know what he's talking about. Then he said to prepare for this time, he decided to do everything he could to fast to pray, to lie on the floor, to prostrate himself, to do whatever he could do. 
and nothing really was happening. No change was happening in his life. He decided then to read a book, and this book was by R.A. Torrey on the spiritual life, and this is the quote that struck him. It is clear, Torrey writes, that every Christian person has the Holy Spirit, and in many a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells back in some hidden sanctuary of his person, a way back of conscious experience. So just as it is one thing to have a guest in your house living in some remote corner of the house where you scarcely know that he's there, it's quite another to have that guest taking entire possession of the house. Just so it is one thing to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in the back of your consciousness in some hidden sanctuary of your being, and quite another to have the Holy Spirit taking entire position of the possession of the house. In other words, it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit merely dwelling in us, uh, but not be conscious of his dwelling, and quite another to be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Whatever you call it, he says, I didn't have it. And so um, he talks then about D-Day, when the time came that he had to teach these classes, and he's still freaking out. What to do, he said. He'd been praying for almost an hour. He'd read this verse about if you ask God for this, he'll, he'll really do it. I mean, it's, if it's according to his will, and it certainly is his will. So then he said, I was at the end of my emotional rope. I glanced at my watch. I buried my face. Oh, Lord, I prayed. You promised that if I ask anything according to your will, you will hear me. And he was so frustrated. But as he finished his prayer, he said, this is how it ended. Immediately, I was overwhelmed with an amazing sense of confidence and assurance. It was a feeling, but it was in such stark contrast with what I'd been feeling over the past three months. And I knew something had happened. My fear was gone. It had vanished completely. I didn't see stars or hear a voice. I didn't speak in tongues. In fact, that was the point. I didn't do anything except to trust. And that's when it hit him. I've been consumed with a desire to do something to somehow win over the Holy Spirit. And it was just a matter then of trusting that the Holy Spirit was present. The Holy Spirit was real and, and, uh, and dwelled inside of him. And then to move out in faith. And here's how he defines faith. Faith is believing that God will do as he has promised. Faith is trusting that God will honor his promises. And that's all there is to it, he said. So in a way, it's anticlimactic. But in another way, it's very approachable. That the Holy Spirit didn't have to come from outside in, but was present and simply had to be recognized and released. But it took an act of trust. And it reminds me of my mother's vacuum cleaner. She had a Hoover. <laughs> she graduated to another level of vacuum cleaner at one point in her life. And what was interesting about this vacuum cleaner was that it was quite heavy. But as soon as she pushed, and you know, if you try to push it, it was really heavy. But if you, as soon as you push the handle a little bit, off it went. And then same going back. And it was real, it was power assisted. It was kind of fun. And you could stand on, on top of it and try to get it going <laughs> as a young kid. <laughs> but that's the whole idea of how faith goes with, with the Holy Spirit, is that he says, I'm present with you, I'm here, just acknowledge that I'm for real, and that I'm here, and then just you have to put the foot forward and move into the, the, the trust. And that's 
what he did. He took the he went into that teaching um, role with those students, and it turned out to be just fine. It was it was empowered. Um, it was something that he enjoyed, and he um, he uh, it, it was a tremendous experience to him to see how God was truly present. But it took that that point of of, uh, of stepping into it to make it real. So um, he, he has other experiences that he talks about later on. But um, I just wanted you to taste of Charles Stanley, who is a fantastic preacher, if you've heard him on the radio, and just never seems to run out of things to say. <laughs> and never seems to run out of a good way of explaining the Bible. But his ministry is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's learned to trust in that presence uh, and that's the way it is for me uh, when, I, when, I, when it comes down to it. Um, for me, for preaching, I, uh, I, I wish that I could get out of it every time. <laughs> it just hasn't gotten, gotten any easier. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm terribly serious with you about that. I really am, that I'll do anything to get out of it. Including <laughs> <laughs> um, And I will be there on Saturdays, even if I've thought about it all week. And I'll look at Trish and I'll say, I haven't got a clue really how I'm going to go forward. I don't know how this is going to come together. And I usually sit down on Saturday night then with one final, oh my God, oh my God. And, <laughs> and it comes together. Sometimes it hasn't come together until 4.30 in the morning the day of it. But it, but it really, um, and so I know it's supernatural. Because it just isn't me. I just don't have that kind of, I, I want to play with my hands and, and, and do other stuff. I don't want to write and think too much. <laughs> so, um, and so it, what it does is make me feel terribly inadequate and, and that I, I'm not called to this ministry because I don't have a natural ability in this area. But it also demonstrates that God can use anybody and that he empowers us beyond ourselves. And the trick then is just to trust him. It's always about faith. It's always about faith. But I also love what he said, and I'm going to close with this, that um, the experience of the Holy Spirit is to know yourself to be loved. And that is really what it's all about, to know yourself to be loved. And I'm going to close with a prayer for that, for all of us, and then we'll quit Father in heaven, I thank you for sharing your life with us. And I know um, about that life and, and that love that exists between you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that, um, Lord, you want to share that with us. That's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to receive, to open up to you that you will engineer our circumstances in our lives so that we can have a face-to-face -face encounter with you and a renewal of that love of yours in our lives, that we can feel secure in you. So Holy Spirit, do swell, do fill our hearts and take possession of us, even as we go now to worship you and as we move into the day, Lord, um, to know that your presence with us is real. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Mom. You're welcome. Okay. Next week, what does the Holy Spirit do?